Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me, you know, I'm just excited about about our guest today. You know, because they're both so delightful, but also because there's just a, a whole name gag that we have going on that that's going to just be incredibly confusing for for however long this podcast lasts. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, our first podcast guest, uh, the ever delightful Ellen Adair. Ellen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Joe. No, thank you. Thank you for being here. And our second podcast guest, I'm not going to say delightful. He knows that. Uh, <laughs> Alan Sepinwall. Alan, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. What, what did I do? Why, why am I not delightful? Yeah, well, we'll talk about it. So <laughs> the, the, basically, I really wanted to get you two on here, first of all, because you are actually in fact, both delightful in, in your own ways. And, uh, but also, uh, the fact that you are named Ellen and Alan, I feel like will be a complete, I, I just feel like a Jerry Lewis movie is coming basically with this whole Ellen and Alan thing. And I'm excited for it. That's, that's basically what this podcast is all about. Yeah. It's really the only way that you can have a comedy of errors on a podcast in which appearance does not play any kind of a role. And so, right. yeah, like having two people who are twins on a podcast, yes. like not yes. no big deal. That, that right. is no longer any kind of a novelty. But having two people with names that sound very similar, it's difficult. Yeah. You know, no, I, I see it as sort of, uh, it's like a podcast screwball comedy. Indeed. It's really, it's really. Alan, how do, how do you feel about this? Are you asking me or her? <laughs> there you go. It's already beginning. Zing. Look at that. It's already starting. Ellen and Alan. By the way, let me let me let me uh, start off this uh, this podcast with a little. Uh, yeah, I, I just got an email, and and I want a little advice from you guys because uh, this this email is looking it's looking pretty important to me. It's uh, uh, it's from I'm not going to say the person's name who, who sent it to me, uh, but it, it starts off hello podcaster. Okay, oh. <laughs> so it's personal. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's personal. They know who you are and what They know you who I am. Hello, podcaster. <laughs> Do you want to make your podcast one of the most popular in worldwide? <gasps> Do you want to get high rank for your podcast show? Do you want to bring your episodes high top rank? And that's it. That's the whole email. It doesn't, it doesn't say... It doesn't provide how, you with a solution? No, no. It just says those things. So... But, so uh, what a tease. But but also, Joe, I would have to say that while initially the greeting of that email did sound very personal and like this person knew you, all of those other questions implies that they do not. Because <laughs> if you've listened to the podcast for all of the 37 years that you and Mike have been doing it, right. you would know that you have zero interest no, in being the most popular none. podcast. No, that's right. Zero. Absolutely none. I don't want it to be most popular worldwide. I do not want it to be top rank for my podcast show, and I don't want to bring my episodes high top rank. I don't want any of those things. But, you know, the person was nice enough to email me. I mean, I think I've got to respond, don't you think? I mean, I've got to, you know, I've got to reach out in some sort of way to to thank them, ask them, you know, a little bit more about their story. Don't you think? I, I, I feel like I... I feel like this is really legitimate. Oh, yeah, no, completely. I'm... No, see, this. I one time when I was, was a teenager, about to finish up high school, I got a letter in the mail saying, you know, Alan Sepinwall, find out all about your secret Irish heritage. Send $10. What? 
Wow. And I thought, well, why do I need to send $10? You just told me I have secret <laughs> Irish heritage. That's all I need to know. So I am part Irish. What is your part of you that's Irish? I, I'd like to know. Uh, my love of the great ginger baseball player, Clint Frazier. Oh, <sighs> yeah, we're, we're starting already. We're starting already. All right, we are going to let's let's we're going to talk a little baseball. We're going to talk a little, you know, last week was a very uh, well, look, every week is kind of a disaster on its own its own ways. And but every week is so heartfelt and and troubling and difficult and challenging and, and things are constantly happening. And so last week, Mike and I had unquestionably our most meaningful podcast which means our, our least favorite podcast because it was we had to talk about meaningful things so so i'm thinking this week even though there are just as many challenging difficult and and important things happening all around us i don't think we're gonna touch any of that i think we're just going pure meaningless don't you think don't you think this week feels like it should just be nothing but meaningless we've got to try Allen? to make up a little bit of ground in the meaninglessness We've like fallen in the standings in terms of meaninglessness. And... Oh no, we've run a, we've run away with standings. <laughs> that we we're forty two games up in the in the standings on meaningless. I gotta believe, but yeah, I think we we keep it pretty meaningless, which means unfortunately allowing uh, Alan to talk about the Yankees, which is you know that's it's going to be painful, but mm. but we're going to need to do it. So. So, Alan, first of all, since we're yes. talking about your Yankees, <laughs> I was I was looking at the standings uh, today, you know, as as I will. You know, I like to yeah. sometimes just look at the standings and and I was looking and uh, the American League East. I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> in the American League East, uh, I don't see the Yankees in first place at all. In fact, I don't really see him all that close to first place. So. You know, what's happening with your Yankees without giving me all of your excuses about how injured they are? So so what I'm gathering here is that you did not, in fact, have me on because of the whole Ellen Allen comedy bit right. that you oversold at the top of the episode. But rather, you chose a moment when the Yankees are relatively vulnerable in the standings to try to lord it over me. That is well, why I'm on today. No, no, because you and I both know nothing matters whatsoever in baseball at the moment. Yeah. And 16 teams are making the playoffs, so it doesn't matter if you're like 15 and 20. Who cares? It doesn't matter. You're going to make the playoffs anyway. So, no, I wish I could say that I'm going to lord it over you. But I wanted to at least start with the the Yankees not being in first place in the American League just to make myself feel a little bit better. That's all. Okay, all right, so you, you've told me that I'm not allowed to cite injuries, even though Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stan, DJ LeMahieu, Glaber Torres... Um, Wait, LeMahieu's back. LeMahieu's back, yeah. No, but I'm he's, saying, hitting, but like, he's hitting 400 for crying he, out loud. He missed several weeks, and that's when they started to dip. They were doing really well, and then all the injuries piled up, and then they, and they couldn't beat the Rays, and it's largely because they just can't beat the Tampa Rays that they have fallen into second place. So, so that's not great. Garrett Cole can't basically throw any pitch for strikes other than his fastball. And his fastball is really good. But when you're a starting pitcher and you can't get anything else right over the plate, that's a problem. Um, but mainly just a lot of people are hurt all the time. It's every time someone gets back, somebody else goes down. So LeMay, was back. I'm sure, you know, Aaron Hicks's knee will explode tonight or something like that. <laughs> well, that but, but let me say this. And, 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 and obviously we're going to have 
uh, equal Yankee loather uh, Ellen Adair uh, jump in on this. But let me say this, because because you're right. I mean, in in all seriousness, <clears throat> lots of injuries, always a lot of injuries for the Yankees for some reason. Uh, you do have to wonder about uh, about Stanton and Judge and staying healthy and and you know whatever. All of those are true. However, uh, DJ LeMahieu is hitting 400. Yes. Which, yeah, I don't. I don't think he's a 400 hitter. I mean, I, I, it feels to me like like that maybe he, he's not. Um, and uh, Luke Voigt is like Ugh. possible MVP candidate. And again, not no offense to Luke Voigt, but uh, I don't I don't think that's real. Uh, that no, see, all right. Real. See, this is this is where I'm going to disagree with you because I know all the time that you and Mike especially like to get upset about what the Yankees traded for Luke Voigt. Yeah. But what I will say is every time he has been with the team and been healthy for a long stretch, he has basically hit like this. If you go through the stats, he was like a house on fire when he came to the team after the trade. Right. He was like... Because it's the Yankees. That's yes, he, he was killing the ball for the first half of last year. Then they went, right. they played those games, I think, against the Red Sox in London. He hurt himself there, and while he kept playing, he was clearly playing hurt, and his numbers dropped. And this year, he's been out of the lineup a little bit with injuries, but whenever he's there... He's murdering the ball, and I believe he is first in the majors in home runs right now. Yeah. So is. I think I think Luke Voigt is real. Yeah, I, I probably he probably is. I mean, we all know that if they trade Luke Voigt to any other team, he will become a two forty seven, three thirty, four ten hitter that that he was before he came to the Yankees. But yeah, as long as he seems to be wearing the pinstripes, he's real. However, my point is not is not that uh, that Luke Voigt is is fraudulent or whatever, or whatever the case may be. My point is that certain guys on this team are, are absolutely hitting way above uh, their, their, what you might've expected. And yet that team is not really a particularly good offensive team at the moment. And a big part of that is what the heck happened to Gary Sanchez? Oh. What happened? I mean, he's, he's, he's unplayable. He's not unplayable. He hit a game-winning, I think, grand slam the other day. So he's yeah. To add to his 124 batting average, I mean, he is unplayable right now. What's going on? I don't know. He's he's swinging at everything. It's not great. He has, in general, been an all-or-nothing kind of hitter. He right. doesn't really walk. So his you know his value on offense is largely in the home runs, and he just hasn't been connecting. Uh, especially, I think I saw a stat on the Yes Network the other day where, where Paul O'Neill was saying like. His, his average on meatball pitches used to be way higher than it is this year. So even when they throw him a big fat one, he's not getting it. So I don't know if this is injury or what, but it is definitely a bummer to see so far. But I'm sure you're enjoying every moment of it. No. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Ellen, <laughs> Ellen, how do you feel about the Yankees this year? Oh, I mean, I'm definitely enjoying every moment of it. And I think what's the most satisfying for people like um, you and I, Joe, who hate the Yankees is that last year, the fact that even when the predictably injured Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton were injured, even when they suffered injuries, they just sort of had like people come up as if from the zombie hordes and, right. <laughs> you know, as, as we've pointed out, just completely fill, fill the ranks. And it's nice just to see that they are fallible, that somebody other than my personal favorite Yankee, James Paxton, is fallible, clearly, who, like, yes. I, I think it's pretty obvious that all of his power was in his beard. 
And when the Yankees forced him to shave it off and look kind of like a nuded lion, he's just not effective anymore. Um, I mean, it is true that stupid Luke Voigt is doing very well. And this is this is our speak ill of my big beefy baseball boy. No, no. This is our epithet for stupid Luke Voigt. And it has nothing to do with his stupid Slytherin face. It has everything to do with the fact that when my husband and I were drafting in one of our fantasy leagues this year, he sniped me. I don't even remember who it was that I was going to take. And I was so mad. And I was like, now I'm going to have to take stupid Luke Voigt. And I did. And I, as a matter of fact, I have stupid Luke Voigt on two of my fantasy teams this year through circumstances that I, I just don't want to go into. So, like, I see every single time he hits a home run and he's helping my team. And I'm just like, ah, oh, stupid Luke Voigt. You um, should love your Voigt. fault. That's right. You should love Luke Voigt because it's your fault. I'm sorry. You should not be able to break from from your Yankee hatred to then take Luke Voigt in any draft. I had, I had no other options. Look, this is the first year ever that I've drafted any Yankees player. <laughs> I don't think he should be called stupid Luke Voigt. I think he should be called Slytherin Reese Hoskins. It feels to me like he's... He's just the mirror image of Reese Hoskins, don't you think? I wish Reese Hoskins were that good. <laughs> yeah, Reese Hoskins. That's, no, Reese Hoskins is turning it around, okay? Like, his yeah. his expected batting average was much better than his actual batting average, and now his actual batting average is, like, 267. He is hitting home runs all the time. He's getting nice stand-up doubles. Like... He basically he moved his hands back to where they were before, but the the sort of the, his swing plane is not quite as uppercut as it was last year. So, like, anyway, <laughs> Reese Hoskins is turning it around. Um, yeah, I but I still <laughs> wish that he were Luke Voigt. But I do yeah. like to imagine that yeah, maybe that Luke Voigt is like the evil Reese Hoskins. He's <laughs> the evil Reese Hoskins. That's all it is. It's just he it's doesn't just walk as much. Ellen, can I ask you something? No, Luke Voigt doesn't walk as much as Reese Hoskins yeah. does. No, nowhere near. Reese Hoskins walks a lot. Yeah, he does. He's very dreamy in that regard. Um, what's your question, Alan? Uh, how are you enjoying Didi Gregorius? Greatly. I'm I'm so sad that he is not on the team. He was my favorite Yankee for a number of years. So oh, I'm sorry. I hope you enjoy him while you have him. I I'm deeply enjoying him. As a matter of fact, like I don't. I don't know what the Phillies are going to do without him next year. He's like perfect for Why this can't team. They just sign him? Pardon? Why can't they just sign him? I mean, I hope that they do, but uh, obviously the the greater priority is is JT Realmuto and also um, somebody for the bullpen. So uh, I I'm a little tired of teams. Like, look. So this is actually I have an actual question about the Yankees and and to some degree the Phillies. I wrote a little bit about this in the Athletic today. Um, there was this, this entire trade deadline. One of the key figures was supposed to be uh, Texas Rangers pitcher Lance Lynn, who has been absolutely fantastic, really for the last two years. You mm-hmm. know, the, the year and year and whatever this you want to call this year since the beginning of the 2019 season. Other than Garrett Cole, he's probably been the best pitcher in the American League the, since the beginning of 2019. The Rangers are terrible and were desperate to trade him. Desperate. 
to trade him or any team that would make like a legitimate offer. I mean, that's my guess. I don't know that full, you know, full hand, but I knowing some people in that organization and all of that, I'm pretty, pretty confident that they were willing to go out there. The Yankees could desperately use him. And I'd say the Phillies probably could use him too. And looking at the bottom of that rotation Mm -hmm. and he is available not only for the rest of this year, whatever this year happens to be, he signed for $8 million for next year, which, you know, even if he's not very good, is just not a particularly steep price for a pitcher who has been pitching at the level that Lance Lynn has. And yet neither the Yankees nor the Phillies nor a bunch of other teams, I should say, like the White Sox and Twins and 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 uh, Braves the and other Braves. teams that, yeah, it's ridiculous that they didn't even make any effort. But I particularly think about the Yankees because... Like, that's what the Yankees used to be. Like, you knew that no matter what, that was that was what made them so like, scary and hateable was that yeah, you knew that when it came down to it, they were going to be the evil empire. They were going to get the best player at the trade deadline. They were going to do what they needed to do to, to, to win. And, you know, then they kind of went away from that for a little while. But then this offseason, if, if anybody can remember the offseason, uh, they sort of got back into the to the old spirit by by getting uh, Garrett Cole and others. Um, so what happened, Alan? What why why did the Yankees make no effort to get Lance Lynn? Apparently, uh, well, according if if your various colleagues in the baseball retor- reportage industry can be trusted, uh, <laughs> the Rangers asked for two out of three. Uh, Davey Garcia, Clark Schmidt, the Yankees' two top pitching prospects. Davey, who had a sterling debut over the weekend and beloved masked baseball ginger Clint Frazier. And that is a lot to give up for a season and a half of Lance Lynn, even if Lance Lynn is pitching really well. But Lance Lynn, when he was with the Yankees a season and a half ago, right before he became one of baseball's best pitcher, was eminently mediocre. And, you know, it, it's possible that he would come back here and do the same, and that's a lot to give up for that risk. So I don't. if that's what the ask was from the Rangers, I don't blame Brian Cashman for saying no, even though the team needed upgrades. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, look, I, it might be a lot to give up, uh, and I'm not sure if that really was the offer. But, I mean, how long are you going to hold on to Clint Frazier? Right now, he's the most essential Yankee, pretty much. <laughs> because yes. when J- Judge and Stanton are constantly hurt, Frazier yeah. is like batting cleanup. He's my favorite Yankee. <laughs> I have irrationally loved this stupid ginger kid for ever, basically since they traded for him. Right. And he's been a loudmouth and he's played bad defense and he's been on the shuttle at Scranton and it's driven me nuts. And suddenly he is up here and he is raking and it is my favorite thing to happen to the Yankees in a number of years. And anytime he does anything good, I can go on Twitter and I can post a gif of, of Frazier Crane from the TV show Frasier, or Cheers, if you prefer. Uh, and so that makes me happy. And if I lose that ability, if they send Clint Frazier elsewhere, I will be very sad. So in that respect, I'm glad that they said no to the Rangers. So two things. Number one, it actually it brings me joy to know that you're a huge Clint Frazier booster because, as of course we all know, the Yankees seem to not be... They seem to be trying not to play him at every single opportunity. That's but. Yeah. It also strikes me as like a very Yankees fan type of a thing to say that like them finally playing Clint Frazier is one of your favorite things to happen in the last few years when like your team normally goes to the playoffs. 
<laughs> yeah, no, as, as we've talked about this before. A, a, a couple appearances ago, Joe was asking me for like my favorite childhood player, and I started talking about the woes of the 1980s Yankees, and the 1980s Yankees won a lot of games, so I'm spoiled. I know this. I'm insufferable. I know this. But I, I also, I appreciate that sort of by that token, the the like elusive thing for you as a Yankees fan is Clint Frazier. Like it's not actually postseason appearances. It's like, but, but that guy, it's like the wayward sheep of the Yankees that you it's, have I more care to fold in than all of the other, you know, superstars that you already have at your disposal. I mean, it's, it's not like, like Linsanity or something where he's just some scrub playing out of his mind. He was the number five pick in the same draft where Aaron Judge was taken at the end of the first round. Like he was an elite prospect. But just the Yankees have, like, been so against doing anything with him, and his time in pinstripes has been so uneven to this point that the fact that he's up here raking and making these amazing diving plays in the outfield and all of this stuff, it's so much fun to me. It really is delightful in a season that mostly doesn't make sense and is feels kind of fake. I'm just really getting a big kick out of Clint Frazier and his gator mask. Yeah, no, okay. it's like they've been like the Rockies, but just to Clint Frazier. Yes. The way that Rock the Rockies are with all of their young talent, they're like, only you, Clint Frazier, get the Rockies treatment. Okay, well, f- f- first of all, Clint Frazier has played 15 games this year, so I- I'm, I-, I fully, fully appreciate your love of Clint Frazier and all that, but uh, holding on to Clint Frazier instead of getting a, a proven uh, starter who, who could actually help that team lead into the playoffs seems very short-sighted to me. So that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is, it's GIF. It's not GIF. Thank the you, inventor Joe. of the GIF <laughs> He's wrong. it GIF. The inventor is wrong. The inventor is wrong. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Everybody knows it's GIF. The inventor of the GIF is, uh, is a brilliant uh, GIF maker, if that is what he has done. Uh, but he, he does not... Uh, know what to call his own thing yeah it's it's, it's gif it's graphic right. is what the it's, g stands for yeah so GIF until we start saying butter. graphic for the word graphic like it doesn't make any sense like yes plus gif is peanut butter it has two strikes against it it's too it's definitely it's definitely right. gif it's definitely gif but but i appreciate that the thing that i always love about alan and then uh you know i can just say this is is <laughs> alan no matter where alan goes whether it's whether it's making some sort of disastrous uh holiday pick or whatever uh or or making the argument that Bugs Bunny is a movie um no matter what he has total awesome reasoning afterward like I give you full (laughs) marks like you immediately came back with the inventor calls it Jeff like you immediately had a fact at hand in order to fight for your completely indefensible position which I, which I admire. I really, truly admire. That. Do we not believe in authorial intent here on the podcast? Yes or no? No, absolutely not. I feel not. like I'm taking crazy pills here. I'm an actor, so of course I believe in interpretation. Oh, my God. <laughs> Once it's out there, it's it's public domain. You know that. Come on. It's it's out there. All right. It's out there. All right. Anyway, it's gift. But beyond that... Um, Look, does it matter? I mean, here's the thing. It's like we're I, I, I keep talking about these things, but if they do have a playoffs, right, if there is a baseball playoffs, which, you know, obviously we all hope there are, and 16 teams are in it, and the first round is three games, and then and then the second round is what, seven? Does it go to – I think it goes to seven. 
for the or does it go to five? Is it three five seven? Do you guys even know? They change it like. I'm not like even sure change. how many innings there are in baseball games anymore, Joe. <laughs> but let's say I know the I first think round it's is three five seven, but I cannot swear. By yeah, I'll, I'll look it up. But but while while I'm looking it up, I'm pretty sure it's it's. We know the first round is three, and then they play a a, a next round, and that will be. Uh, let's see here. So yeah, that's a best of five. So it is. It's three in the wild card series, five in the division. By the way, the wild card series isn't even a wild card series. Like everybody plays in it. So the number one seed will play the number eight seed. And then the, uh, the number two plays the seven and so on and so on. So, so everybody plays in the wild card series as they call it. And then the best of five is the typical, uh, you know, division series. Then the best of seven is the league championship series. And then there's a world series best of seven. So assuming we get through all of that, (laughs) we have no, earthly idea what it actually takes to win the world series this year no clue it might be a a starter like lance lynn it might be uh you know that the fact that uh, clint frazier hit 17 home runs during the strat i don't have any idea and nobody else does either so with all that in mind i mean it feels to me like other than the padres and maybe the blue jays a little bit everybody else is just sort of playing like yeah i'm fine you know, whatever, whatever happens, uh, we'll just go with what we've got. And, you know, we don't, we don't even know if there's going to be a playoffs. It doesn't feel like there's any real effort. I mean, don't you guys get that feeling like the teams are just, nobody feels super aggressively, you know, like they're super aggressively going after it this year. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say about the Padres is I feel like the Padres exactly think we have no idea what it's going to take to win the postseason. So, like, let's just get everybody, like, everyone in Major League Baseball. Can we see if we can acquire them? Um, Yeah, I mean, the thing for me that was most puzzling was, in fact, that the Braves did not get another pitcher besides Tommy Malone because, you know, they really, really desperately need one I think um and I'm so glad because I do not love the Braves that they didn't specifically that they didn't get Mike Clevenger who I realize like you know made some definitely like poor decisions this year but I can't help it I just love Mike Clevenger well he's a great pitcher um yeah I was really surprised that they that they weren't in on Lance Lynn because they have the farm system to get a Lance Lynn I mean it's an it's an issue with the Phillies right now is that Matt Klintak has done such a poor job or the organization under Matt Klintak has done such a poor job with drafting development or both that unless they're going to trade an Alec Bohm, a Spencer Howard, they're not going to be able to get a Lance Lynn. Right. I, I'm disappointed not so much that they didn't go out and get another starting pitcher because, I mean, actually... I sort of feel like Jake Arrieta is perhaps the weak link, but has had some great starts this year. It's not like they're one of the many teams this year who have been rolling out a bullpen game, for example. Um, So I kind of get that. I do wish that they would have tried to get some more help for the bullpen. Um, Yeah, because you can't run out of bullpen game with that bullpen no that's, absolutely that's, not that's, no that that's was part of the that's part of the problem exactly yes yeah well I think that's right um look I think the Braves honestly for them it might be a money thing I mean even eight million dollars might be like they're they they seem 
maxed out in a lot of ways uh, in, in Atlanta anyway. So, I mean, so I, I, I guess, Alan, I mean, when, when you look at these, when you look around baseball, I mean, I, I sort of feel that the teams feel the same way that everybody feels as a fan, which is like, eh, let's just hope for the best. I mean, at this point, at this point, nothing seems to be going all that great anyway. So, yeah, you know, let's let's hope that there's a playoffs, and if there's a playoffs, we'll play in it. And if we play in it, maybe it'll be fun, and maybe we'll get to the end, and that's it. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like anybody's you know, other than the Padres, who have been very very aggressive, and the and the Blue, and Jays, the Blue Jays. To be fair, yeah. the Blue Jays have been aggressive as well. Other than those two teams, everybody else does sort of seem to be like waiting and hoping. Was, Was that, that question, question meant to me be addressed to Alan or Alan? <laughs> It was both to Alan and Ellen, but it was mainly to Alan to start off. Um, like you say, it. Uh, remember there was that period where it didn't look like the season was going to be played at all, and people started talking about all that the Dodgers had given up to get Mookie Betts. Right. And the idea is they were going to tr- they traded these prospects, and they weren't even going to get Mookie Betts to play for them. Uh, right. How ridiculous is that? So I can certainly imagine some of these GMs looking at what's happened – uh, with the Cardinals, with the Marlins, with the A's most recently, with these different teams that have had to shut down for periods of time due to positive tests, and think, well, what's going to happen come the playoffs? It, the, like, if the season gets wiped out, and I've now traded two of my top three prospects for Lance Lynn, or, you know, Mike Clevenger, or whoever, like, I'm going to feel like a real idiot. It seems like in a lot of years, I'm very much Mr. Flags Fly Forever. You go for it. You trade what you can, you know, the, the Cubs made the deal for Chapman. They gave, they gave us Glaber Torres. I think they would make that trade a hundred times out of a hundred. Cause you try to win a title, but they're wrong. Okay. <laughs> All right. But that's what's up. We can talk about that later and I get to benefit from Glaber Torres, but Ugh, um, Chapman. yeah. And he's gross and I don't like having him on the team and that's a whole other discussion, but we're trying to be meaningless today. So I don't want to get into that. <laughs> Well, it, we I can think just talk about him throwing at somebody's head, right? I was going to say we can we can we can have a meaningless discussion about him throwing at people's heads 101 miles an hour. I, I mean, mean that's, that's that's not great, but neither is Kevin Cash saying you know we've got a whole bunch of guys who throw 98. So you know, it's that's a what's still happen toxic next. masculinity Face- for sure. Baseball is, I mean, it really is just a bunch of kids in a playground. I mean, it's just it's so and it's like every day. Like when kids play in a playground, there are rules that they follow that nobody else understands. Like, well, why don't you use that? Tr- no, you're not allowed to hit the ball to that tree. Like every that's what ba- it's like. Baseball never outgrew that. It's it's every single uh, there. There's some rules that are just in people's heads. And and then they're like they're convinced everybody knows these rules. I mean, obviously, we've we've all, I think, at, at different times talked about. Uh, Tatis hitting the 3-0 home run that apparently was, you know, was was against all uh, protocol or whatever. Oh my god! Yeah, it was just. Ugh. And it's and Alex Dickerson didn't s- get that memo either. <laughs> well, nor should nor he have, should he. By the way, yes, nor should shred he. those memos. Yeah, they're the worst. They're the worst. Look, if if you're gonna play, all right, if you're the Giants, and and you're up twenty three to four or whatever. But you have a chance to score in every inning and become like the fourth team in baseball history to score every inning. 
score in the ninth inning. Do everything you can to score in the ninth inning. I'm sorry. I mean, if if, if you don't want that, it's like what Ryan Howard said. Put a 10-run rule in place, all right? If that's if that's what you don't want, then 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 go ahead and come up with rules that are written that prevent that from happening. Otherwise, just try to stop the other team from scoring. That's your job. That's it. It's your only job. What you know? was what was the quote? I think it was from last season. Someone said, well, if you don't like it, go fish the ball out of the ocean. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that, that was Max Muncy, I think. <laughs> yeah, whatever Muncy said, like, come on. If, if you don't want it, beat me. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. All right. So now I'm going to ask each of you, uh, because you're both uh, are soothsayers in this in this matter, uh, knowing that this is going to be the most bizarre playoff uh, scenario ever, and uh, understanding that if assuming we get through it, you're basically going to have to win a best of three, best of five, best of seven, and another best of seven. So you have to win what eight, eleven. 13 games. You have to win 13 games over a, you know, a month essentially is you're going to have to figure that out, how to make that happen. Who do you like out there? Who's looking other than your two teams? We don't care about your two teams (laughs) other than your two teams. uh, Who do you look out there and go, you know what? In that scenario, I think this team is really dangerous. Ellen, we'll start with you. Sure. Yeah, I think that one of the answers still has to be the Dodgers, you know. So obviously they're not quite as top of mind for everybody right now because they didn't really make any additions. They only decided to send away Ross Stripling. But I still feel like the depth that they have in their team and in their organization suits them well for literally anything that could happen. On the other hand, I feel like the depth that the Padres now have also make them an excellent answer for this. And um, on the uh, American League side, I, of course, I'm a huge Oakland Athletics fan, despite them not being my life partner team. So I definitely want to say the Athletics. Um, They're obviously they're at the top of their division right now. And I can I, I. I can definitely see them holding their division there this this whole year and making it through the postseason. That athletics team, I just, I just, I, you know, I mean, I, 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 there's a part of me that doesn't want to ever think about baseball from my childhood, right? Because that feels so old. It feels like the old man, you know, pointing at clouds, screaming at clouds, whatever that line is. And and I and so I don't want to make it sound like, but. Nobody on that rotation like worries me at all if I'm going up against that team. And I'm not saying that it matters because their bullpen is ridiculous and sensational and and you know they they find ways to score runs and and they're they're very good and they're very deep. But God, it feels to me like when you're throwing, you know, Fears and Bassett and Lizardo and Montas and and Sean Manea out there, I mean, it just I don't know. I I just I just I I still have to believe that that at least having one or two guys that you absolutely don't want to face like matters in a playoff series, especially a short playoff series. But am I wrong? Maybe I am wrong. Alan, am I wrong? I feel like this year uh, and in part maybe I'm just influenced by the fact that I've been seeing so many seven inning games lately. It feels to me like the starter issue is 
this year especially really overblown and I wouldn't sweat that quite as much. Interesting. Interesting. Ellen, how do you feel? Well, I mean, obviously I it could be that like my affection for the athletics clouds my judgment a little bit. Um, and it's true that like Frankie Montas has been at times the Montas that we thought we were getting from 2019 this year right. and other times he just has not showed up. And like I'm very, very excited about Jesus Lazardo, but it's not like he's going to you know, go toe to toe with, we don't know yet. Yeah. We, we just, don't we don't He's quite so know. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so no, I think that that's, I think that that's a very good point. Um, and I was perhaps, uh, staying away from the East entirely, but I also feel like the Rays are an obvious choice. Um, but have, you know, kind of their, their pitching hasn't necessarily, uh, sorted out this year the way that I think people were expecting, particularly with Charlie Morton. So, yeah, that's interesting. All right, Alan, what do you think? Well, you know, this may be recency bias and, you know, myopia talking here. But since my team can't beat the the flipping Tampa Bay Rays, who are, as we speak, (laughs) up for nothing on the Yankees in the top of the first with one. Yes. Yeah. um, I'm I'm going to call them the favorites in the American League because the do not like uh and you know you don't like them here's you know what i love about the fact that you don't like the rays is as a yankees fan it must kill you to even acknowledge the rays exist like like they should be like they're the tampa bay rays they're like a new relatively new franchise playing in a creepy dome and that scooby-doo like warehouse dome in in tampa and nobody cares and and they're they're fighting to to get anybody to care about them at all and they're better than the yankees that must drive you absolutely crazy i don't enjoy it joe uh in full candor i do not enjoy what is happening with the tampa bay rays no this is not fun do not recommend negative two stars Totally, as my daughter would like to say, 10 out of 10 on on the race. All right, who do you like in the National League? I mean, Ellen said the Dodgers, and obvious choice is obvious, but it it feels like them. But just for the heck of it, since she chose them, I'm going to go with my buddy Justin Halpern's Padres because unlike everybody else, they did decide to go all in on this season. Preller just, what, he trade like 25 players back and forth the other day? It's it's something (laughs) ridiculous like that. That's like the actual number. That's not like, ha, 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 25. It's, it's, it is in that ballpark. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he traded, he traded six players alone for Clevenger and I think somebody else. So that's eight guys in one transaction. So no, I think it's very easily at least 25. Uh, And I admire that. And what the hell? And I'd, I, I've always enjoyed the Padres and the, and the classic brown and yellow uniforms. So what the hell? Let's go San Diego. Let's not only break the playoff slump, but let's go far in the playoffs. I I like that Padres team a lot. I, I, yep. I really they're do. They're so I, much I mean, fun I, to watch. They're fun to watch. Tatis is uh, awesome. Yeah, Tatis is. It's like he's he's different level awesome. You know, I mean, he's he's like he's like he's like whatever baseball 2.0. You know, he's he's like a whole other. It's a whole other thing. So they're super fun. You know, I I got to say, I kind of like that White Sox team mm. a little bit. You know, I mean, sure. I, I don't I don't know that they're quite there. But, you know, using my perhaps flawed logic that that, uh, you know, that it depends on uh, a little bit on who your starters are. I mean, 
you know, they do have Giolito going out there, and he's, you know, terrific. Keuchel has been really, really good. Dallas Keuchel has been really good for them. You know, that's – you don't want to face those guys. That bullpen has been pretty good in the late innings. You know, they're not that great in the middle. Um, and that team mashes a little bit. So, I mean, I, I just think – I don't know. It feels to me like they, in this sort of weird year, it would be perfectly weird for the White Sox to to like go to the World Series and win it. I would don't love you that. think? I mean, that would be like perfect. White Sox Padres exactly would actually be a great oh, so 2020 good. World Series. Yes, please. Four people would watch it. That's what's so great about well, we would. Yeah. Well, Ellen and I would. Alan maybe not. Hey, I love the game of baseball. <laughs> you do. You do love the game of baseball, which is which is good. All right, so this leads to a a completely separate topic about baseball that we must discuss, and and I, I it feels to me like Alan and I have had a conversation somewhat revolving around this, but maybe I'm misremembering that. I'm not sure. Doesn't matter. This week, um, you guys might know I do a I've been counting down the sixty greatest moments. In baseball history, uh, as seen by by me, essentially, it's not it's 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 not a, a list meant to be taken uh, seriously by anybody else except for me. I'm doing it for me. So I did uh, <laughs> number five this week, the fifth greatest moment in baseball history, and the fifth greatest moment in baseball history. I decided uh, was Kit scoring the game winning run uh, uh, for the Racine team. Uh, in the uh, uh, All-American Girls Professional Baseball League World Series Game 7 when she ran over her sister Dottie and knocked the ball free and and scored the game-winning run. So as I wrote in the piece, uh, this is an incredibly controversial. I believe it's the most controversial question in baseball history. I believe it is much more controversial. As I wrote in the piece, I think it's much. Uh, it's a much deeper and 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 tougher question than uh, did Babe Ruth call a shot, which I think is a pointless question for the large for the for most thing. And and the other question which I put in there, which is what is a Philly? Like what what is a Philly? Uh, I it's looked it up. It's not. It's not. It's it's not. Well, it 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 is, but it's not spelled that way. The the a Philly. In 1890 or whatever it was that they went away from the Quakers was like what you called Philadelphians. Like they were, they, you would be like, you called Philadelphians Phillies, which is horrible. Just absolutely horrendous. That would be like playing for the Chicago Chicagoans? No, the Chicagis. It would be the Chicagis, <laughs> basically, is, is, what, is what it would be. Phillies is just another name for Philadelphians, but it hasn't been used in more than 100 years, which leads to the first question specifically for Ellen, which is, is it time to change the Phillies name? No. Yes, yes. No, no absolutely yes. not. <laughs> no, and I feel like you didn't know that? No, I mean, like, like I Like, of course didn't... that's what it is. No, I didn't care enough to know. I didn't look I'm it sure. up. I just knew, like that. That's what a Philly is. I mean, yes. Now you call them a Philadelphian, but that, like, they're those two terms are interchangeable. And it's no, like, they're not. No, they're not. I've never ever heard anybody refer to Philadelphians as Phillies. 
ever. Well, now, because it's associated with the baseball team. So they'll think you're talking about a member of the baseball team. When, when do you think was the last time Philadelphians were called Phillies? When, what year do you think that was? Of the 1910. Okay, maybe it's time to move on. That's all no, I'm saying. No, but the team is now that thing. Like, that's now what they are. I quite like the fact that, like, it's a team that just <laughs> is, the name is what it is. There's nothing else that's a Philly spelled that way no, except for the it's team. Fine. It's It is fine. Mike and I, Mike and I made the, the, uh, the point that if you if you've been named something for a hundred years, uh, and it doesn't offend it's anybody, it's not offensive. Which, yes. No. Then you then you get to keep the name. But otherwise, like, do, should the Los Angeles Dodgers be called the Dodgers? The fact that they are named after the fact that 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 used to people used to dodge streetcars in Brooklyn, and they were called Dodgers, and that's how the team. Okay. Got wait. Its name. All right. So well, now you're just opening up Pandora's box, Joe. Because if you're going to do that, then there's no more Los Angeles Lakers. Oh yeah. Well, Lakers is a terrible name. Yeah. There's that no, definitely there's no, that there's no change. Utah Jazz. Oh, th- okay. the worst. That'd be the first name I'd change. Okay, but I'm saying like you're gonna if you're gonna do this, you have to make sweeping nickname changes. Here. Oh, that's right. No, that's what we're calling for. We're calling for sweeping nickname changes. <laughs> okay, we're so gonna put up a change.org petition <laughs> just to this. Why is this what? not the subject of the whole episode, Joe? No, because, because Mike and I have already gone over it, and, it's, right. and it was and it wasn't that funny the first time we did it. To be honest with you, so Touché. so Touché. so there you go. We're leading to the big question, which is, I mean, of course, wait, wait. All right. Wait, before we get to the big question, Alan, a last thought on the Phillies. What do you got? Oh, it wasn't on the Phillies. It was on the Dodgers. I mean, the the thing is, it would be sad, the Dodgers being such a historic institution for the Dodgers as a name to not exist anymore. And like the denizens of Los Angeles dodge plenty of things, you know? (laughs) We we all do. I Sincerity, no. like I mean, <laughs> sorry, I'm a. They are called the Dodgers because people in L.A. dodge sincerity. <laughs> I just want that on the record that that has been said on this podcast. Um, no, the Dodgers. You can't change the name because now the Dodgers have become representative, not of 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 anything related outside of baseball. They become representative of Jackie Robinson and yes. and and uh, you know and and the great history of of the Dodgers, including after they got to L.A. and Vince Scully. So no, I I wouldn't actually. The Lakers is a terrible name, but I'm not sure that that hasn't been grandfathered in too, because because of the Lakers' great history. The Jazz, I change that tomorrow. <laughs> like that that name that name is it's first of all it's an embarrassment that New Orleans is not called the Jazz and that yeah. Utah is. That's an embarrassment. Uh, it is it is ridiculous, and it's not like the Jazz have any kind of great history they can fall back on. It's like just change it to something Utah-ish. It would the be a, moose. a fresh page for them. I, I mean, everybody the knows Utah how Lakers. good moose are at playing. The Utah Lakers. That makes more sense. There are more lakes in Utah than there are in L.A. Yeah. Okay, you trade Lakers to to Utah. You right. trade Jazz back to New Orleans. Uh, I don't know trade. With, I don't know what you do with Pelicans because I don't think Los Angeles has any interest no, in that. No, that's gone. That's gone. No, and that's then you, gone. then you. I mean, could you do the Los Angeles Stars again, like in the ABA? Yeah. Look, I, I don't think you. I don't think the Lakers trade the name. The Los can. Angeles insincerity. <laughs> My favorite thing, just to go off on a tangent because it's a podcast and I can, is: Have either of you ever seen the fish that saved Pittsburgh? Of course. No. Okay. Of course. 
All right, so Ellen, if you've not seen it, it's a movie starring Dr. J and <sighs> Stalker Channing. <laughs> you know, as, I like that you put it in that order, by the way. <laughs> as you do. That's the order uh, that he should put it in. Yeah, well, and so it's about a hapless Pittsburgh professional basketball team called the Pythons, and they suddenly find success by believing in astro- astrology and changing their name to the Pittsburgh Pisces. And they, you know, they have all this big success and um, Meadowlark Lemon joins the team and other people are joining the team and they go and they make it all the way to the NBA finals. And they're, they're doing this big introduction of the two teams. And Marv Albert, I believe, is doing the, the announcing. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, the Los Angeles team. <laughs> they literally did not bother to think of a fake name for the fake Los Angeles team in this movie. And so I think that perhaps they should stop being the Los Angeles Lakers and just become, in tribute to the Fish and Save Pittsburgh, the Los Angeles team. Well, that's what Washington, exactly. Washington football yes. team has become. That's what they're the – and I hope they never change that, by the way. Yeah. The, they should always be the Washington football team. All right. Agree. Jonathan Winters was in the Fish that Save Pittsburgh. Yes. As was Michael V. Gazzo just a little bit after he committed suicide in Godfather 2. And uh, M. Emmett Walsh was in it. Yep. Uh, you mentioned Stocker Channing. Flip Wilson. It's really a who's who. Debbie Allen was in it. It's a who's who of 70s sort of love boat <laughs> guest stars, basically, yep. is what that is. <laughs> yep. Also, James Bond Third was in it. I don't know who James Bond Third is, but apparently he's an actor and producer known for Deaf by Temptation, Contrition, and School Days. So there you go. That's definitely not a screen name. And he also was in Wonder Woman, the TV show. Okay. So there you go. And obviously in the Fish and Save Pittsburgh. So I hope James Bond the Third knows that we're talking about him. I hope that somebody tells James Bond the Third. All right, we're gonna get back to the question at hand, <laughs> which is did Dottie drop the ball on purpose at the end of uh, a league of their own? And I'm going to, before I give my full opinion, because I did not, I wrote about this and I gave both sides uh, and I have been berated by both sides uh, about this, but I want to hear each of your opinions uh, before I, before I go forward. And we're going to start with you, Alan. Oh, you're both going to pretend that I said the other person's name. You definitely said Alan. (laughs) I said Alan. Alan. (laughs) Have I told the story about when I used to work at a restaurant with an Israeli chef and there was another server named Alan and he pronounced our names identically, but he would identify (laughs) us by calling us girl Alan and boy Alan? Okay, I could do that. It's just an option. I'm just throwing it out there. I I like it. All right. Boy Alan. You get to you get to give your opinion first. So you're saying, did she drop the ball? Obviously, she dropped the ball because that's on purpose. Yes, I okay. did say on purpose. I go back and forth on this, and I ultimately decide that she did not. Okay, explain yourself. Why okay. do you believe she did not drop the ball? Okay, so on the one hand, yes, you you've pointed out a number of times that the the opening of the movie, you have older Dottie telling one of her grandkids, like you know, let your let your little sibling win. Mm-hmm. Right. So you've got that. You've got her looking at Kit crying in the dugout. You've got a number of things. But I still feel like she is, A, she is too competitive to have dropped it in that moment intentionally, you know, despite all of her protestations about how much the game does or doesn't mean to her. And two, I really think you can look at the prologue with, with old lady uh, Dottie and say that this is a lesson she learned 
not because she did it intentionally, but because she saw what it did to her relationship with her sister, that in hindsight, if she'd had the choice, she would have done it actively. But I believe, I believe in Dottie Hinson. I believe she plays to win, and I don't believe she, she dropped it on purpose. I like it. I like it. I, I like the enthusiasm. All right, girl, Ellen, what do you think? Well, when we talked about this on Take Me Into the Ball Game, one of the things that I said is that I think the best thing about this movie that is excellent, that is one of my favorite films of all time, is the ambiguity that it sets up. Like, I love when stories, when movies have things that can be differently interpreted. And I think that, crucially, what the film has her do is drop the ball. And so in that way, on kind of a meta level, she does drop the ball on purpose. However, I think that if I am forced to choose one side or the other, as much as it pains me to agree with boy Alan, uh, I'm kidding. Uh, I agree that she is not, she does not drop the ball on purpose. There's that little scene where she is talking to the is it Betty Spaghetti who is pitching at that moment and you know gives her some information I think it's Ellen Sugatli maybe it was Ellen. okay it yes was Ellen yes Sugatli that's right her, yes. that's right yes so she gives her the information about you know which kinds of pitches she should throw to Kit as if they don't all know because they were on the same team and there's only like four teams in the league to begin with anyway. Right. Um, right. But like that exists to tell us the viewer that like she's still trying to win in that moment. However, I do believe that in that moment that the ball is knocked free and then she sees what it means to Kit versus knowing what it would have meant to her. She learns that lesson that then she is imparting to her grandchild that we see at the beginning of the film. That is my opinion. Uh, okay, I like it. I like it. You a little a little twist there. You you I, I appreciate that. Um, so here's my view, and and I've really come around to this view the last uh, the last couple of days. Um, first of all, this this question really does um, seem to affect people in in very deep ways, uh, and there are many people who believe it shouldn't be a question it's not even a question that if these were two brothers uh that nobody would even ask the question whether or not he dropped it on purpose or not which i don't know maybe that's true i i i I don't know but here's here's what i think i think in the movie script there is no question they had to drop it on purpose all right and and here's why it's not just that the thing prologues with with her telling her grandchildren, um, you know that that uh, for for the older brother to to let her younger the younger brother win and whatever it's not even just that but that is obviously pretty strong foreshadowing, and it's not just that that she always seems a little I mean like she left she left she didn't play in any of the early first you know for for those who are talking about how competitive she is. She 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 left. I mean, their team easily could have lost in six games. She never would have been able to come back for the seventh game. So so it's so you know she was competitive, yes, but you know it, it had limits. So I think that that's the way the character was written. But here's the thing, and somebody pointed this out to me, and I had not thought about it before, um, and I don't know why I haven't thought about it before because it's actually pretty obvious. The movie 
goes over and over and over again to show how strong her hand is, right? Like she, they have her catch the ball barehanded multiple times mm. in the movie, right? They have her catch it barehanded as as an older version of Dottie. Uh, they have her catch the ball barehanded uh, right at the beginning. Uh, you know, they they constantly show that she had a basically a vice grip on the ball. Like they, they like she she had incredibly incredibly strong hands. And yet, that's how she drops the ball. The ball doesn't get knocked free by a a you know charging kit. The ball gets knocked free because as she falls to the ground, her hand hits the ground and the ball pops out. So I am now utterly convinced that in the script, she dropped the ball on purpose. Mm. I, I that is that is my my strong belief. However. As I said earlier about the uh, GIF question, I don't know that the authors have the 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 like full <laughs> rights on how we're supposed to feel about this. You know, I think that's the way they wrote it, and I think that's how people can take it if they want. However, I think that your way, the way you guys are both saying it, which is she didn't drop the ball on purpose, but came to fully appreciate what it did for her sister. Uh, the fact that her, you know, certainly uh, Kit uh, never believed she dropped the ball on purpose for sure, because it would have devastated her probably even more, would have wrecked her to no end to know that her greatest triumph was basically her sister dropping the ball on purpose for her. So that probably would have wrecked her and she would have been bawling for like two years because she did she did take things pretty hard, as you know. Um I think that's the right answer. So I think the right answer is she did not drop the ball on purpose, that she was beaten by her younger sister and came to appreciate that, you know, what it did for her sister. It was it was the thing that got to see she got to see her sister sort of grow up and come out of her shadow and all of those things. But I don't think that's the way it was written. So so that's so that's where I am. I am. I, if somebody says, did you drop it on purpose? I would say, no, she did not drop the ball on purpose. But I I deeply feel now that they wrote it, that she dropped it on purpose. But Joe, sense? Joe yeah. what happens to Tony Soprano in the diner? Tony Soprano was killed in the diner. No! <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know what? I, I thought you're, you're, uh, you had the best, uh, you had the best take on that uh for those of you know what you can't just say that on the podcast so we're we're obviously talking about tony soprano and the final scene uh of the wire and uh the wire oh, excuse me oh Sopranos. i thought that was a really good joke yeah so did i go with it, it. Been. all right look the final scene of mad men when tony soprano uh He's in the diner, and well, you know what, Alan? I mean, you, you wrote a book about this. Why am I explaining this? What, I know, but I'm just saying, when, once we start talking about ambiguous endings, where you can sort of decide, and and you don't even necessarily have to consider authorial intent, my mind naturally goes to that one. I'm I'm sort of a one trick pony in that regard. Well, where where and and what is your sort of final take on what happened in the diner? Um. Whatever you want to have happened in the diner is what happened. <laughs> nice. Honestly. Are you not, are, would you try to sell your book, please? I mean, come on. No, no, no. Is... I mean, the, the book we have, 
in the book, The Soprano Sessions, available wherever fine books are sold. Yes. Um, David Chase gives one answer, but then he gives a different answer. And Matt Zeller cites and I, we go back and forth and we talk about a lot of different possibilities. And I think, like, the scene is about the idea of Tony dying, but it doesn't necessarily end with him dying. And you can decide for yourself. And I think if you're, just to bring it back to the subject, now that I'm done shamelessly, you know, self-promoting. No, 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 no. That's what we do here. We shamelessly plot. Okay. Uh, Joe, have you written any books lately? You know, I wasn't going to bring this up, but... uh... I wrote a book about Harry Houdini. Wait, what? Oh, that's not good. Know. Okay. I know. I never, well, you know, I just don't like bringing things up on the show. And uh, it's called The uh, Life and Afterlife of Harry Houdini. And it is about to come out in paperback. It oh, hey. In, paperback, uh, in in time for Halloween. So, And you uh, wouldn't you have been able to plug this if I hadn't done this. So I feel like I've no, done my good my, deed for the my day. One, my one last meaningless thing was just going to be the plug. Oh, man. Oh, and now I've ruined, I've ruined that. I'm ruining everything. Okay. It really, it really okay. was. Okay. But. So, um, but yes, no, it is, it is coming out, uh, uh, for Halloween, but no, I think that, that it's, that it's legitimate, except I don't know, like, there's no question when they filmed the final scene of the Sopranos and it goes dark and everything else, they knew that they were leaving an incredibly wide open question, yes. uh, for everybody forever. Like, and, and, and one that they would work very hard it, much. I mean, really Mad Men ends in a similarly weird way. I mean, it's not quite a mystery along the same lines, but it's it's also a, a, a an ending that, you know, can lead to a lot of different conclusions about what happened, right? I don't think that the when when they made uh, League of Their Own, I don't think that they knew this was going to be such an open-ended question. Yeah. I think they wrote it like she dropped the ball on purpose. And then I think as it's become a hugely beloved movie, people have, have invested their own feelings into what what really happened and so i think the question has grown larger as the years have gone on because i don't think it's written in i think it's very very difficult other than the one thing which is her going out to the mound and telling her to throw high ones or whatever other than that there's really almost nothing in the movie that you can pull from to say that she didn't drop the ball on purpose. I mean, yes. it's all of the foreshadowing. Except for their in, points to her dropping it. In. Except for their entire history of competitiveness. You know that it sets up the fact that like she will not early in the movie, she will not let right. Kit walk faster than her back to That's their true. farmhouse. Like I'm I'm going to disagree with you. I think that the film knew that it was setting up both possibilities. Ooh. I like it. Yeah. So you think there? You think there was there was a different? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I. What I love is that it has become such an open-ended question. I think I really do think it's such a great, it's such a great question. And and you know, like I say, a lot of people don't even want it to be a question because they think it's insulting to even suggest. Like we had we had a big fight. Not me. I wasn't involved. But people at the athletic had a had a nice argument about this, and and two my two editors who are both women uh, had very very different opinions about what happened. And one felt like it shouldn't even be asked. It's no question she would never drop the ball. It's it's stupid to even suggest that. That was Emma Span, and uh, my other editor Casey Borowski. Uh, believe she absolutely dropped the ball. That it's not even a, that it's 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 obvious that she dropped the ball. So so I love that it's that. I love that's yes. what it's become. I I 
I don't know that that was written in to the piece, but maybe it was. But, maybe those, you know, maybe those writers are that good. I don't but, know. But if, if we're going to throw out authorial intent, I mean, that's why I brought up The Sopranos, not just to, to shamelessly self-promote, but to talk about this idea of like the wonder of the ambiguous endings is right. whether or not that this is what Penny Marshall and Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel, you know, chose to do. And I said that because I really like to say the name Babalu Mandel. Babalu Mandel, yes, sure. Yes, exactly. Whether or not Babalu Mandel and his collaborators, you know, wanted to be ambiguous it is ambiguous, and that's a great thing. So you can look at this finale and come out of it, you know, the end of this movie, and come out of it however you want. If you want it to be about her ultimately deciding that sisterhood matters to her more than baseball, you can. If you come out of it as, no, she's ultra competitive, and Kit, as, as Dottie says, Kit just wanted it more, you can come out of that. You can, you can sort of look at it in a lot of different ways. And no matter what, it's such a good movie, you can find a way to enjoy it. And I love that about it. Oh, I do. Well, the thing... W- one other... Go, go ahead. Anna. The thing that I always think about when I think about an ambiguous ending is the film A Separation by Oscar Farhadi. And what I love so much about the way that that movie ends, basically, you don't you don't quite know what the what the um, daughter is going to decide is sure. all of these things, all of these different kinds of ambiguity. They're basically inserting audience participation into the watching of a thing that like you, the audience, are responsible to make up part of the narrative for yourself. And like, I think that that makes a much more fulfilling piece of art. And it's, you know, also why I love theater for the fact that like it's you, an audience has to fill in some of the holes, you know, if the set is not sure. like perfectly real or like the the costumes are not perfectly real, but they're more symbolic, that it's more about a kind of a contract between the people who have made the art and the people who are watching it, that like this piece of art only exists by the combination of these two things. Somebody made a, you know, I, I got, <clears throat> as you might imagine, quite a few uh, responses um you know, both both in Twitter and everything else, but also uh, in in personal uh, emails and 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 texts uh, about this thing. And one person made a point that I thought was was great. Uh, I don't know if it's right, but I thought it was great. And his point, he believes that that, that she dropped the ball uh, on purpose, but he thinks she didn't decide to drop the ball on purpose until the very end of the play. That. That she, you know, somehow in her mind, you know, she was going to hold on to the ball. Kit comes in, crashes into her with a, a force she did not expect, gets knocked over. And as she's falling with the ball, because she held the ball throughout the tag, which, by the way, I don't know if on replay she's even safe. I'm not even sure because <laughs> he held on to the ball for a long time. But assuming that the call was right, as she's falling that that's really when it occurred to her, oh my God, this means so much to her. This means so much more to her. And 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 then somebody else uh, tweeted today, maybe she just didn't want to play extra innings, which I think is also a fair a fair uh, point. So, uh, but anyway, the point being that she she intended to tag her out, but that that after getting bowled over, she realized uh, that that uh, that if if you know, this would mean this would be something for her, but for her sister, it would be life changing. So anyway, interesting, interesting thoughts. I think we've I think we've solved it at this point. 
I th- I think we've left it open ended for the listeners. <laughs> that's that's how we've solved it. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. That is the correct way to solve it. All right, so there you go. Um, you know, I I want to like talk about other like sports things and whatever, but I don't know. I mean, like, do you guys are you? Well, well let me ask you each. Where are you now? Because I think we've talked to each of you during this pandemic on the podcast about. You know, how much do sports matter to you? Life is is so uh, trying and, and difficult, and we're all trying to figure out different, you know, ways around. I mean, you know, uh, uh, whether it's with our kids, whether it's with our, our you know, our homes, our cities, and, and then obviously everything else that's going on around the country. You know, Ellen, you seem to be getting incredible joy out of baseball. Is, is, that, is that true? Do you find that you are really getting a lot of joy out of baseball or is a lot of that just internet dancing? Uh, No, I'm definitely getting a lot of joy out of baseball. I mean, I'm also getting extreme despair out of baseball because this is what I mean when I say that I have an unhealthy love of baseball. And then people are always like, ha ha, that's not possible. Like baseballs. And I'm like, (laughs) you're not around me when the Phillies really blow it. (laughs) Like I get really really sad and I think that this year uh it the the bullpen imploding night after night after night for a while there uh really got to me because I think in 2020 though I I do agree with foremost baseball human Sean Doolittle that sports is the reward of a functional society. And so I'm not like, sports, you have to be normal for me. But like, I have a lot of anxiety about the country and, you know, social injustice and also like all of my friends. Will we ever have jobs again? Who knows? Um, And... Uh, and so when at the end of the day, I've kind of like held it all together and like here, I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to enjoy a baseball game. And when the Phillies surrender, you know, a seven run lead, like twice in one day, uh, I do just sit on the ground and cry (laughs) because it just feels like everything else that I was kind of holding at bay to be like, yay, now I get to watch baseball kind of comes crashing down on me at that moment. However, when, when for example, Aaron Nola throws a change-up, curveball change-up, three-pitch strikeout to Eric Thames, I lose my mind with joy. Yeah. I'm like, I, like, I'm so happy that I almost can't believe that I'm on this earth experiencing life and not like already in heaven. <laughs> so I, that's maybe great. that's my answer for you. <laughs> so, okay. So, so Ellen is, uh, is, is taking it all too seriously. All right, Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's great. Look, that's what sports are supposed to be. I mean, that, that question is whether in this particular time you can get that kind of, you know whether it's whether it's joy or sadness, whether it's heartbreak or or triumph, whatever it is. I mean, those are the things that 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 sports bring to us in normal times. So the question was, are you feeling that now? You obviously are, which is which I think is really really good. Uh, even even if it's just too small a uh, 
you know, too small a period of the day, you know, because the rest of the day is is filled with uh, a lot of anxiety and difficulty and all that. Alan, boy, Alan, <laughs> how, how are sports for you right now? Um, They're mixed in that, among other things, like my kids, I think I've talked about before, never... I, I've not been able to indoctrinate them into sports. They've picked up a lot of other things I love, like comic books and movies and other pop culture. Sports has never been their thing. So now, in particular, they always would sort of groan when I would put on the baseball game or the basketball game or whatever. But now, especially when I put them on, the kids will often come into the room and like, Dad, what are you doing? You shouldn't support this. This is bad that they're playing now. <laughs> um, but... A, like Ellen, it's a very nice and needed respite at the end of, you know, yet another trying day. But also every now and then you get something inspiring. You get, you know, which which you and Mike talked about last time, what the Bucks did and then what a bunch of baseball teams did. Yeah, right. You know, what, what the, the Mets and for, I forget who they were playing that night when they stood silently on the field for 42 seconds and walked off, you know, as both a tribute to Jackie Robinson, but also joining the protest. That was beautiful. And then, of course, because they're the Mets, they messed it all up. Of course. With the Brody oh, Van so Wagen and stuff and the Jeff Wilpon, because the Mets are going to Mets. But, like, I still love that, that sports can make me feel these things, even in a time, you know, what is it James Earl Jones says? The, you know, the one constant is baseball. Right. Every, everything else goes away. Everything else changes. Everything in life right now is so different and so scary. And I don't know when or how it's going to get better, but like I get to put on a ball game and I get to I get to watch my favorite team, which both of you hate, do fun things and see you know, see Clint Frazier be do be Clint Frazier and see Luke Voigt hit the ball out of the ballpark and drive you and Mike nuts and that's that's good and I guess that's enough for now and I I do like that some players at least and some teams throughout sports are using this moment. And taking advantage of the fact that there are no fans in the stands to be able to do things like this. Mm -hmm. Because if this yeah. was happening under normal times, they would not be walking out. They would not be, you know, doing wildcat strikes during games. There's just no way that would happen. And so it's, in a weird way, a silver lining to all the other craziness that they're able to use it, you know, to power through this. And so I've, I've been proud to watch that as an American. Well, I really do wonder if fundamentally things have changed and will change. I mean, I'm talking about assuming that we get back to some version of normal and everything sort of kind of goes back and we have fans in the stands again and, and, and everything else. I, I, I wonder if something, I wonder if, the, you know, much in the, much in the way that the depression changed the country, much in the way that wars changed the country. I wonder how this is going to change the country and I wonder how this is going to change sports. And, you know, I, I don't know the answer. I mean, obviously none of us do, but I think it will. I think, I think athletes have seen to some degree the power that they have and, and how they can use that power to represent what they want, you know, whether it's something within the game. Um, obviously they've been striking for, for those kinds of things for a long time. Or whether it's something for outside the game, whether it's for social change, whether it's for uh, causes that uh, that they don't believe are getting the kind of recognition they need to get, whether it's just a just a spotlight, you know, put a spotlight on on something, and and you know, I don't know that you go back from that. I really don't, and I think that's 
good, uh, you know, potentially could be, you know, a, a real sports could look very different uh, going forward. And I, and I, and I think that's a good thing. I, I know there are others that would disagree with that, but, but I think that's, I think that's a good thing. So, so that's my big question, you know, I mean, my big, and I know there's no answer for it yet, but, but I think that's my big question. I, everywhere you look in sports. So I'm a tennis fan. And so I've been watching quite a bit of tennis the last couple of weeks because the, you know, they, they've been inside the New York bubble for the U S open, but they played the Cincinnati tournament in New York before that, which was weird. And there are no fans there, but tennis, it's a little bit different with no fans. It, you know, the, the, it's weird not to hear cheers after a great shot or whatever, but other than that, it's not quite as intrusive uh, as it feels in baseball where they, you know, in basketball where they pump in the fake noise and it just feels, the games feel kind of different. Um, but anyway, watching tennis and, and you know, they're they're in the middle of a, of, of all kinds of, uh, you know, they're, they're trying, you know, Novak Djokovic and others are trying to create a new players association. Uh, Naomi Osaki, uh, you know, uh, sat out, re- refused to play in order to spotlight what's going on in Kenosha. And, you know, it, it's it's just you feel like that's everywhere. And I I think that faucet is on now. I, I think that that's going to I think sports is going to be different when even when it's fully sports again. And I guess I, I think it's a good thing. I really do. Yeah, Joe, I, I, I've got some really bad news for you, Joe. <laughs> The Yankees are coming back. No, no. I think uh, there was actually a drone delay. Someone was flying a drone over the stadium, so they had to put it on delay. But that is not the bad news. It was Trevor Bauer flying the drone. Yes. Bad news is we have just been way, way too meaningful for the last 10 minutes. No. see, See, I disagree. Like, yes, we've been talking about meaningful things. But because of the fact we're doing it, it's meaningless. So, so I think, I think the, the meaninglessness comes from the fact that, that I'm the one saying it. So, so that makes it perfectly meaningless. Anyway, that's how, that's what I'm going with. That's, that's, that's my belief. All right. Since, since we've, we've, we've come too close to that meaningful line, it's probably time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. sports and we draft things we know like how beaches are terrible places to go no hot fruit for michael no diet coke for joe the podcast it's one last i hope each of you have one do each of you have a meaningless thing oh i do yes Oh, good. All right. Well, you know what? Let's start with you then, boy, Alan. All right. So I'm I'm recording this not from my home base. I'm I'm out on Long Island for a couple of days, uh, and there's a place here on Long Island. There used to be a whole bunch of them called Dairy Barn, and it was like a little mini chain where like it's basically a drive-through grocery store where you can go like to get milk, eggs, handful of other things, and you never have to get out of your car. And all right. throughout this coronavirus, my wife, who is from Long Island, over and over says. God, I wish we had Dairy Barn. It would make life so much easier to, to do all of this stuff because you wouldn't have to get out of the car. And it was already contactless in that way. Uh, and she just won't stop going on and on about it. And then she says, well, it's a shame most of them went out of business 
but I found that there is still one in existence. They changed the name slightly. It's now, I think, just called The Barn. But I went there, and I drove through, and I did indeed get a quart of milk. And I'm like, I think that what this country needs is more drive through uh, grocery stores. Why would you change the name from Dairy Barn to The Barn? I, I, I like, assume what, like, because the original owners still owned the name Dairy Barn, but God knows why. Yeah, I, I, if I were them, I would I would want the name to be memorialized, uh, you know, for forever, because Dairy Barn is a great name. The Barn sounds like a really sleazy bar that you would be going to at like two in the morning, don't you think? I mean, yes. that doesn't that doesn't feel to me like a drive-through grocery store at all. Look, maybe they um, just don't want to be prejudiced against lactose intolerant Americans. That's a good point. They want As to say, like, we, we, have, I get that. It, we have many things to offer you. Like, it's not just milk, unless... <laughs> it's not... Uh, it's also things that you find in a barn. Unless... That's basically what they're yeah, saying. Yeah, so... Yeah. I, straw, <laughs> if you need straw, you can straw, get it here. Straw, Buckets. Yeah, rakes. We have buckets. We have rakes. We have, like, one of those, like, old-timey sort of lanterns. <laughs> <laughs> the, if you want to order one of those, also you be, can get that here. Yeah. The barn could also be a dollar store that has like unbelievable junk everywhere you turn and and uh, and hasn't been cleaned up since like 1978. That could also be the barn. The barn. Look, Dairy Barn is it's it's just better. It's just it's just better. Sorry. All right. Uh, Girl Ellen, what is your one last meaningless thing? So my one last meaningless thing is also food related. And I have a new food item that I am obsessed with. It's called Sea okay. Crunchy, and it's sesame seeds and almonds shaved very thin, put between dried seaweed, sort of like a little sandwich, and it's amazing. I think it's technically called like toasted seaweed brittle on the package or something. So I tried it at first because my husband bikes all the way into Manhattan for work every day, but sometimes he'll stop at this grocery store in Sunnyside on the way back, and he saw them and he thought, huh, and he brought some home. And I ate the whole bag. Like, I could wow. not stop eating them. And then subsequently there was, and I don't remember why, there was some point when my husband, when I was like on my phone, and my husband saw my search history come up, and it was 10 different phrasings of the sea crunchy snack because I was trying to figure out where I could buy them online because I could not stop thinking about them. And so what is very sweet is that the next couple of nights he went by that store and bought like eight bags and then he went back the next night and did the same which is sort of funny because he says it's always the same clerk when he goes there late at night so it was the same guy being like aren't you the same guy who bought eight bags of these seaweed snacks yesterday anyway uh, this is not a paid endorsement but if the sea crunchy people if you're hearing this please let me do sea crunchy ads on take me into the ball game and you only have to pay me in sea crunchy Okay, so apparently Sea Crunchy, but by the way, I am um, allergic to sesame. I think you knew yes. that. Um, so, so even looking at Sea Crunchies uh, makes me uh, violently ill. Um, There's a kind with coconut and sunflower seeds. Yeah, I'm looking at it's it right less now. The good, coconut and sunflower. But it's, I mean, I'll take either of them. First of all, it's called toasted seaweed brittle. Oh, it's so. That's that could not sound worse, frankly. Uh, but yeah, are you going to eat toasted seaweed 
uh, brittle there, uh, Boy Allen? Uh, hard pass. <laughs> I mean, if you don't like seaweed, like if you don't like sushi and you don't like seaweed snacks, you're probably not going to like it. But I like sea. I like sushi. I like sushi too. It's oh my gosh! Oh, it's so good. I mean, more sea crunchy cr- for me, I guess, as because it's very hard to find. Well, I'm looking here. I'm trying to find out who makes the sea crunchy. It's it's very difficult on the internet to to find. It's out hard to find who, who makes sea crunchies, uh, but it looks like they have a they have a Facebook page uh, filled with sea crunchies, and it is not in English. So so I don't know if it's the seaweed market that makes sea crunchies. They're the leading European supplier of seaweed products, but I don't know if they make the seaweed crunchies. So. Um, all right. I, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than uh, that sounds. Uh, I'm glad you found a snack that you find delicious. Oh my gosh, it's it's so good. Like my favorite composed food item is like a Vietnamese fresh summer roll with peanut sauce, and this okay. is this is almost that close as to like how much I love it and how much I want to eat it every day of my life. I believe that this seaweed crunchy seaweed snack company. That looks like they're they're might be in German or maybe Swedish. It's actually very difficult for me to tell what language it's in, but it says Lucimi Valja Convedica Mega Combat. So that's your sea crunchy slogan, yeah. I guess. I mean, that's why I'm so lucky to live in Queens, you know, because <laughs> I probably I would never have found this anywhere else. <laughs> Seaweed, uh, sea crunchies. Okay. My one last meaningless thing is uh, I, I don't have a food item that I have found joyous, but I, I have to say that on Twitter, I have found great joy in following uh, Irvin Magic Johnson uh, tweets on, on Twitter. Uh, they are they're indescribably wonderful. And, and I, can't, I can't really fully explain it. Like the joke isn't funny if you... If you explain why it's great, I will just read you one Irvin Magic Johnson quote uh, that tweet that he had the other day. He had before the Denver versus Utah game seven, uh, which happened, uh, I guess, yesterday. I'm so excited for Denver versus Utah game seven and to see Jamal Murray versus Donovan Mitchell exclamation point for Denver to win. Nikola Jokic, Gary Harris, Paul Millsap, or Michael Porter Jr. has to step up, exclamation point. For Utah to win, it's on Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Inglis, or Rudy Gobert to step up, period. That's the tweet. That is all of Magic Johnson's tweets. They are, they are all exactly like that, only about different topics. They make me so happy every time... There's a new Magic Johnson tweet. It it brings me great joy. Uh, it's 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 wonderful. He'll do some of these tweets during the game, and they're and they're so they're so good. Uh, they're they're always like filled uh, with with just wonderful Magic Johnson joy. So so I I I'm not going to go into it any deeper. But I think if you just want a little bit more happiness in your life. Uh, follow Magic Johnson on Twitter because it's it's. Uh, I promise you, you won't be disappointed, right? Do you guys follow Magic? 
I, I have I not should. to this point, but I'm doing it right now. You have to right now. Yeah. Right now. The other Twitter thing I wanted to say was, uh, and I, I tweeted this out uh, earlier today, somebody tweeted out, uh, I implore you to put on the Red Sox game. They have this dude, Robert Stock, pitching, and he looks like he's twice divorced and completely given up on life. I can't stop watching him. It's transfixing, which is, you know, a, it's a, it's it, that, that tweet speaks for itself. However, it was retweeted by Sarah Stock, uh, who I assume is Robert Stock's wife, who says zero times divorced, but if he keeps walking the leadoff batter, I'll consider filing. So, which I've decided is the best tweet of the week. Don't you think? It's very excellent. I also, I have news for you, which is that Robert Stock used to be in the Phillies bullpen. What's that? Robert Stock used oh, to be course. in the Phillies bullpen. Well, of course he was. Look, that Phillies bullpen, yikes. It had the worst ERA since the creation of the earned run. It's not good. Not great. It's not good. No. No, it's really, it's really not good. But you know what? It can't get worse. <laughs> yeah, it can. So anyway, uh, I think it probably got, won't though. I, I'm, I'm optimistic that the Phillies bullpen in the second half is going to be better than the Phillies bullpen in the first half because it's not even a very difficult wager to make. Are we in the second half? It's, we're in the second half. Is, we're like well into the second half. Like, like we're. Well, the Phillies aren't like, because they had to miss so many games because the Marlins had COVID. But yeah, but like most teams are like like the Yankees and Rays and all that. They're like they've got like twenty games left, don't they? Something like that. That's crazy. Twenty twenty five games left. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. All right, guys. Well, I think we've done as much damage as we can. Alan, do you want to pitch anything else? You you can pitch something, boy, Alan. You pitched your, you pitched one book. You can pitch them all. Go ahead. No, no, I've I've done some some really good stuff. I think lately at Rolling Stone, RollingStone.com. If you like the movie Watchmen, for instance, I got to interview Trent Reznor great. and Atticus Ross from Nine Inch Nails, and they performed some of the music from the show live great. for me. So you know, sometimes this job ain't so bad. That was great. That's 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 no joke. I, I you, everybody knows how I feel about Alan, but that was really great. It was it was. Uh, Absolutely fantastic, as as was your recommendations, all of your recommendations to 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 watch Watchmen. Is Watchmen going to win like a million Emmys? I sure hope so. Oh my God, it's yeah. so amazing. It's, it's so such good. a good show. It's so It's good. been very it's so hard good. everything that I've watched recently since I watched Watchmen. I've just been like, uh, yeah, this is fine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's not Watchmen. Yeah. Oh, you know what, Alan? I actually have a television question for you. Go. Uh, my daughter, my older daughter and I, my, my oldest daughter is, is a college freshman. For those of you that uh, don't know, she uh, is uh, taking her first semester online and uh, is at home. And, you know, that's miserable. She would obviously much rather be at college. And I would much rather for be at college as well for any number of reasons I don't need to go into here. But, uh, but we needed a television show to, to watch. And I had never seen... Community. I'd never watched Community, and uh, my daughter, of course, had never watched Community, and so we have started to uh, to watch Communities, and like, like, were, am I wrong or was that show like really great? It was really great. How far into it are you? We're into. I think we're all the way to season 
four, maybe at the beginning of season four, either season three or season four. Okay, so you've made it past me then. I, I, oh, so you've not, you haven't gone that far. No, no, you've made it like I'm literally in an episode of Community. How did I miss you? Which episode are you in? It's it's not a super memorable one. It's I think from early in season two. I don't remember okay. what the main story is, but one of the subplots is Britta and Annie are doing protests together about oil, and they wind yes. up like wrestling in oil and a bunch. Oh of- yeah, no, I I vaguely I, I distinctly remember this. Where what were you? I'm one of the skeevy guy college guys <laughs> leering at them while they're wrestling in oil. Oh my god, amazing! <laughs> I had no idea. I was I was on the set that day just to do like a set visit story. And, you know, the Russo brothers were directing it, and Anthony Russo goes, hey, Alan, like, go be in the shot. You you could certainly pass for a skeevy college student, you know, at this. I'm like, okay. And in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have done it because I think it's like you – I definitely crossed some sort of, like, critic participant line by doing it. But it's so long ago now that I'm mostly amused by it. that so. No, you should be entirely amused. That is awesome. Yes. That was actually quite a funny scene. I'm glad to know that you were in it. It's a really good show. I, yes. I again, again, much in the in the same way that uh, you know, I can just find myself completely behind everybody uh, on pop culture things. Where suddenly, where I'm like, oh, you know, I I didn't realize people were doing this, and it was you know three years ago that they were doing it. I can't believe it took that long. But like, rank it for me. Like, is Community like one of the one of the premier comedies of like the, the, the you know, since 2000 or what? Definitely. Um, I mean, I think it's a little bit of an uneven show. If you're sometime in season three or season four, you've basically seen the cream of the crop. There's one season four is very bad season. Season five and six are good, but like not quite up to the level of the, of the, the first few. But at its peak, uh, when they do episodes like the paintball episode, so yeah. good. like, the, well, some of these super fun specialty episodes they've Yeah, done. the My Dinner with Andre episode is amazing. Yes. <laughs> I, like, who does that? Um, there's just, there's a lot of those. And that, that show really went for it. When, when Matt Seitz and I, like, ranked the 100 best shows of all time for, for TV, the book, I think Community was somewhere around 50. Um, Excellent. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's a delightful one. And you should never feel bad about coming to something late. Like, my teenage daughter and I, as I've, I've droned on a lot about on Twitter and stuff, we watched almost all of Cheers, and now she's watching Frasier with my wife. So, you know, that's yeah, that's well, just because you're obsessed I mean, with Clint Fla- Frasier. Yeah, uh, it, I think it's more <laughs> that the two have nicely dovetailed, Ellen. But yes, uh, that certainly may be contributing slightly to Clint Frasier being my favorite Yankee in quite some time, at least <laughs> since Sir Didi Gregorius. I, I actually just assumed that it was like, oh, it was a way that you could watch something Frasier related with your children since they won't watch sports with you. I will say Frazier is her favorite character, and like recently when he went off on one of his home runs, I tweeted, Frazier has left the building, and I told her about it, and it's the most excited she has ever gotten about anything sports-related. All right, listen, I, I've got to Progress. bring a little bit of very, very sad news uh, to the table, because this just happened. Uh, like, it's breaking news. People are going to listen to this like long after they know this. Uh, but Tom Seaver passed away uh, at the age of 75, oh, man. Uh, which is very, very sad. Uh, Tom was obviously one of the greatest pitchers in baseball history and uh, a huge, huge figure off the field in baseball. Uh, we were fortunate enough a couple of years ago when uh, when we did the movie that they play at the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, Jonathan Hawk and I uh, interviewed uh, Tom and, uh, you know, he was already – you know, he was he was struggling a bit, but he, it was a good day for him. And 
hearing him talk about the art form of pitching and what it meant to him and it's just beautiful so uh so uh yeah just a little a little bit of sad news uh that uh, that our producer marissa passed on that tom Seaver passed away so uh, so in other words, as soon as I get off this podcast, I'm basically gonna have to start writing. So there you go. All right. Well, then so. we, we should not keep you, Joe, because what whatever you write about Tom, I'm sure will be really beautiful and will make me cry. So, well, there you go. But before we go, before we do that, uh, Ellen, don't you 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 need to pitch your podcast a, a little more here? Oh, do I? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, my husband and I have a podcast called uh, Take Me Into the Ball Game, um, in which we rate baseball movies and sometimes television episodes on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. Um, So most recently we did an episode of the Twilight Zone that is baseball themed called The Mighty Casey. And I think it's one of our most fun episodes yet. Honestly, we have a lot of within the episode twists and turns that are worthy of a Twilight Zone episode. And uh, we structure everything so that even if you have not seen the thing that we're talking about um that you should still be able to enjoy it however this episode is also 24 minutes long and it's on hulu so or not not hulu excuse me it's on netflix so it's out there if you want to watch it yes it's take me into the ball game it's terrific uh ellen and eric uh very fun so i highly recommend it uh guys thanks so much for taking the time thanks really appreciate joe. it thanks for having me joe